ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. You're listening to The Country Hour on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Hi there, good afternoon. Selena Green with you today on The Country Hour. An early start to harvest across parts of South Australia. It has seen some records tumble. We're on that shortly. And have you put any management plans in at your place or on your property to reduce emissions and store more carbon? Well, a survey of landholders in one part of our state shows it's not super widespread. We see it as critical for our region, which is a very productive region, and there are opportunities, particularly with soil, to sequester carbon within the soil. Well, we'd like to see, or I guess all landholders, uh, adopting some level of carbon farming. Is carbon farming something you're working towards or maybe you're already well advanced on or perhaps you found some barriers to that? Let me know today on my talkback number, 1300 891 or the text line is 0467 991. But first today, the early start to harvest for many across South Australia has contributed to an October record being broken for Viterra. More than 925,000 tonnes was delivered to the site across South Australia with the warmer weather contributing to an early and fast start to harvest. Viterra's General Manager of Operations, Gavin Kavanagh, runs through what's been brought in thus far. We received over 920,000 tonne of grower deliveries in, in October, which is about 25 to 30% more than we've ever received um, at the end of October. I think from our point of view, it's a great effort from our employees who worked hard to prepare for such an early start of harvest. Is that early harvest, that, that, that's obviously what's contributed to this record? Yes, it has. Um, we're thinking harvest and based on our conversations with growers, is is around two to four weeks earlier than normal. So Viterra was prepared and ready to go for these big tonnages coming through? Uh, yes, we were. We, In discussions with growers, they flagged that they were thinking that they would be starting earlier than normal and we were able to adjust our investment programs, our recruitment programs to ensure that we're ready to receive harvest um, early and in fact, our, our first load that we took was in Thevenard on the 25th of September. And so what's, what areas have contributed to the uh, the record? I'm guessing around sort of Sejuna where a lot of them are finished and things like that have, have contributed a fair bit? Yes, um, around half of that sort of 925,000 tonne deliveries would have been in our western region. So our early sites like uh, Thevenard, uh, Kimba, so yeah, a, a reasonable proportion um on the Air Peninsula, but what we are seeing is that the majority of growers in, in all areas with the sort of dry spring have um, or are starting earlier as well. And so what's been coming in, Gavin? We've been, well, overall, the quality that we're seeing at this stage has been really good that's come in. Um, yeah, we've taken significant amount of lentils on, on York Peninsula and also taking lentils on in both the Mallee and Adelaide and Air Peninsula as well. The canola is coming in as a pretty reasonable quality as well. And depending on the area, you know, we've still got a mix of wheat and barley coming in. So in the uh, Western EP where I'm am right now, uh, they're predominantly bringing in in wheat and sort of sort of Eastern EP, Lower EP, and sort of in our central and eastern regions, 
a lot of those growers are still bringing in barley. Is most of that still at country sites or is a lot of it coming to the yeah, the sites like uh, Port Lincoln and Thevenard? Uh, it's a real mix for us. We, we receive a reasonable proportion of, of the crop uh, direct to port and what we uh, and we try and make that option uh, available for for growers. Uh, it, that can be dependent on having enough early harvest shipping to be able to do that. But the line is open for the majority of the grades in, into our, our ports and then it's also well supported throughout our country network as well. And there are ships coming in soon, I believe? Uh, yes, that, that's correct. Uh, we look forward to loading or hopefully loading our first uh, new crop grain vessel next week, um, which really kicks off a strong sh- or, and busy shipping season with over 6 million tonne booked by uh, 18 different exporters out of the Viterra network. And I think that demonstrates a you know, strong demand for South Australian grain out of the Vi- out of the Viterra network. And so is it rare to be shipping this early as well? Is this uh, something you don't see that often? Uh, no, we, we generally see strong harvest shipping um, from our exporters out of, out of the Viterra system. Um, this year in particular, we've also seen strong um, exports in, in October. We shipped over 500,000 in the month of October, given we had such a large harvest last year. And then our exporters are able to roll into a new crop shipping in, in either November or, or December. Also, Gavin, uh, the uh, Viterra has put the call out looking for more trainees. Can you tell us about this? Yes, I can. Um, I'm really pleased to uh, let your listeners know that applications are open for our training and even our, and our apprentice programs. We have multiple roles across the state and the applicants will have an, an opportunity to combine on-the-job training with formal education in Third 3 and would encourage anyone who's listening and want to start their career in agricultural and gain some in agricultural industry, sorry, I should say, and gain some qualifications to visit our website for more information and potentially apply. As Viterra's General Manager of Operations, Gavin Kavanagh, speaking there with Brooke Nindorf. Well, Australia has broken its wheat export records, which was only set last season, with China edging ahead of traditional buyer Indonesia as our biggest customer. The grain export marketing year ended on the 30th of September, and grain broker Matt Kelly from Kelly Grain says it was a bumper year. Seen Australia export uh, just a shade under 32 million tonnes uh, of wheat and some durum, uh, and that essentially set a record, um, you know, compared to about 27 million tonnes the year before. Wow. So, yeah, tell us about how significant, I guess, that is. Look, I think it's quite significant, um, you know, given the crop we've actually had, but the ability to then export it at the same time. Um, you know, so we've seen some quite a lot more efficiencies coming into the supply chain by moving grain. Yeah, but on top of that, you know, we've, we've seen quite a few other you know, port terminal operators, um, you know, open up as well, which you know has been able to facilitate a lot of that. And where's that grain gone to? Uh, probably surprising. The, the biggest buyer is China, where we've seen essentially um, about half a million tons of container containerized exports, and and uh, just over seven million tons of, of bulk exports to China. Um, look, probably having a, a, a big year on year has actually um, you know, increased a lot of those numbers. You know, some of that export stuff would have been stuff from the previous season, um, you know, which has then flowed into new seasons. But you know, given the, uh, the the tariffs and, and issues around China, um, it's quite surprising that they've been the biggest buyer of wheat.
Yeah, so there's obviously still been a, a big demand then, even with yeah, the virus. Yeah. Look, I think really from a, a quality demand, um, you know, if China really needs it, um, you know, we, we don't really see any trade barriers uh, in place. So obviously got a, a huge appetite for our wheat and, and that's, that will continue into this, you know, this uh, next 12 months as well. And harvest is happening all over the country, really. What's happening there? What's the update? Yeah, we're probably harvesting in every state now. We're probably about about nearly a quarter way through the, the harvest. Obviously, Queensland and, and northern New South Wales um, you know, have been completed, and you know, reports are coming from northern New South Wales. Um, harvest is better; has been better than expected. Um, uh, central New South Wales, uh, not so flash, but you know, starting to now get into the. Um, southern New South Wales and into the Riverina and, and fix slowly, you know, get going. But, you know, we'll probably start to see that really get going in the next week or two. And just quickly, Matt, lastly, what are we seeing in terms of pricing? Uh, look, probably the better than expected wheat yields is probably pressured wheat. They're back about 20, 30 bucks um, a, a tonne, but canola's probably lifted about 20 just on the back of some, um, uh, you know, better overseas markets and just unwilling grower selling um, as harvest has started. That's Kelly Grains broker Matt Kelly, and he was speaking there to Annie Brown. You're on the South Australian Country Hour with Selena Green on this Thursday. Well, the protocol for exporting Australian Hass avocados has been approved by India following a very successful trial run. Once accredited, avocado growers from all regions of Australia will be able to export to India. Australian production is forecast to increase strongly over the next few years to around 170,000 tonnes per annum. Tina Quinn spoke with John Tice, who is the CEO of Avocados Australia, who says growing export markets will help increase returns for growers. The approval of Australian avocados to India has been gazetted. So that's great news. That's the final step for us to start moving on uh, sending avocados to India. So from this point, we'll be able to start working with the Australian government to accredit growers and packers uh, to be able to supply uh, strain avocados to India. And so now that this has been given the green light, do you expect producers, avocado producers from all over Australia to, to be taking part in this, this new export opportunity? We certainly do. At the moment, Western Australia is currently in, in full swing with their, their harvest and they've got a you know, big crop this year, uh, quite a lot of fruit going to Japan and, and Thailand, which was the market that was recently opened. But given the timeframes for this accreditation process and the training and so on, um, it's likely that we'll pick up Western Australia for India next, next season. So our focus will be starting with North Queensland uh, in the new year uh, getting those businesses that are interested in supplying India, uh, getting them trained and, and accredited um, so that the uh, new season fruit out of North Queensland can, uh, can be exported to India. And then we'll work our way down the coast as the different regions come into their production time slot, uh, going through the same process. And what will this mean for, for the market domestically? Because obviously there's been quite a glut of avocados uh, this year. Has that contributed to, to prices being really driven down for, for producers? Yes, certainly there's been a very strong supply into the domestic market. We've been working to try and build these export markets as fast as we can. We've seen massive increases in our exports of Australian avocados, albeit off a pretty small base. But our uh, our exports for the 
12 months till now is uh, almost 14,000 tonnes. A few years ago, only a few years ago, just prior to COVID, we were doing about two or 3,000 tonnes per annum. So we've really ramped things up. But, you know, there's plenty of fruit to go around. There'll still be a lot of fruit uh, marketed domestically. You know, the Australian market is a, is a very good market and we'll continue to, uh, to supply Australian customers and we really need the domestic market to, to grow significantly as well. We're expecting our crop supply to be about 170,000 tonnes by 2026. Uh, it's currently around 130 to 140,000 tonnes, so there's still quite a lot of growth coming over the next few years with new trees coming online into production. So, you know, we'll be pushing very hard for new export markets, building the export markets we've got, and certainly building and uh, and developing further the Australian domestic market. Do you have concerns, though, about the market domestically here? Because they've, they're facing some significant challenges when it comes to the, the price that they're getting back for their product. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's tough. There's no doubt it's tough at the moment. I guess one thing with the, the lower pricing that we're seeing domestically is that it's bringing new customers into the, the category, new buyers. And so hopefully, you know, over time, as we can strengthen demand further domestically, we'll see those those new consumers stick with the category. Because at the moment, we've got about sort of 75 to 80% household penetration. We've got we've got a, a you know a fairly small group of absolute avocado lovers so we, we need to get more people consuming avocados more frequently and personally i think there's still a lot of room to grow uh in the domestic market but it does take time you can't you can't do it over overnight we've seen significant increases in domestic consumer demand over the last 10 years uh so we know it's possible uh, we know there's room to grow and we just need to keep pushing pushing to uh, to increase that consumption domestically. John Tyus there, the CEO of Avocados Australia, and he was speaking to Tina Quinn. You're listening to Selena Green on ABC Radio South Australia and Broken Hill. Well, 54% of agricultural landholders in the southeast are not actively managing their land to reduce emissions or increase carbon storage. Well, that's according to a new survey from the Limestone Coast Landscape Board. Jason Taylor is the manager of Sustainable Landscapes with the board. He says it's partly as farmers don't know where to start. Obviously, some farmers have begun on that path and are well on the path to um, introducing carbon farming as a part of their operations, but other farmers um, have found it a challenge to uh, know who to trust and have where, know where to source that information from. So the Landscape Board saw an opportunity to, to fill that gap and to try and point landholders um, in the right direction. Yes, so tell me a bit about how you are managing to achieve that and, and getting out that knowledge and education now. Yeah, well, I guess that project led us down the path of establishing sort of three phases for landholders, and that's really about measure then explore and understand carbon farming and then manage carbon um, within that agricultural sort of environment. So obviously the first stage of measuring was about farmers being able to measure emissions and do an audit of their farm and then build knowledge of how to reduce emissions and also sequester or store carbon on their land. And then I guess the, the key one to actually manage, actively manage carbon. So both reduce carbon emissions from their farming operations, but also to uh, keep more carbon in the landscape within their soils and, and the like. So 50% of farmers weren't actively managing their land to reduce emissions. 
What kind of numbers do you want to see in the southeast? What would be a success with getting this information out? Yeah, I guess we don't really have a target, but we see it as critical for our region, which is a very productive region, and there are opportunities, particularly with soil, to sequester carbon within the soil. Well, we'd like to see, or I guess, all landholders uh, adopting some level of carbon farming. And so to support that, we've produced a number of practical tools for them. So that includes some videos uh, on explaining soil and soil carbon and the like, and some fact sheets. And also we've done some soil benchmarking across the region so land managers can look at that data and understand where their property fits and what their soil benchmarking characteristics are. Yeah, so explain a bit more on how knowing your benchmark is helpful when when starting out carbon farming. And the Landscape Board also has a specified soil extension officer as well. How can they help in this journey? Yeah, we do have a a great resource in, in that person and that they can help guide landholders. I guess one of the key bits of work that we're doing at the moment is a a snapshot of carbon and we're both identifying the resources that the landscape boards put together but we're also identifying industry resources. So pretty much every industry out there is doing something in the carbon space. So for example the uh, Meat and Livestock Australia has a carbon neutral strategy by 2030 and the wine Wine Australia's strategic plan is out there as well to help the wine industry. So we want to be able to guide farmers to their relevant industry sector strategies as well, and as well as giving them those specifics of our region so the the soil benchmark basically can pinpoint their property and help them understand the soil type and and carbon responses for different soils are different. And as you mentioned there, it is a very diverse region in the southeast, so many different types of farming. With the survey responses, was it a good representation of all those different types of, of ventures? Did you really hear from all the different areas of the community? Yeah, we think it was fairly wide reaching and I guess if you know how the landscape board usually operates. We we are fairly practical in, in many senses and we do offer a lot of on-farm trials and the like. And we think that our reach is uh, quite good. So reaching all parts of the agriculture sectors in the Limestone Coast. As manager of sustainable landscapes at the Limestone Coast Landscape Board, Jason Taylor speaking to Elsie Adamo. And going back to avocados, we we're talking about them a moment ago. Sean's in Mangambi. He's hopped on the text line to say, Hi, Selena, time to smash some avos. Maybe Boxing Day, buy a box of avos to go with a leftover Christmas lunch, says Sean. Thanks for your text. Uh, we need to find out what's happened at the Mount Compass cattle market now. And for that, we're joined by John Traeger. Afternoon, John. Good afternoon. Quality was again extremely mixed as eight was on for 670 live weight and open oxen cattle. Numbers remained similar as 276 steers, 192 heifers and 162 cows made up the bulk of the offering. Competition was steady from the usual trade and processes of buyers, feeders and restockers, with local butchers operating on suitable younger cattle. Prices remained unchanged for the better end of the offering, with a light and inferior grade selling to a cheaper trend. Vila steers sold from 100 to 223 cents, as Vila heifers ranged from 100 to 160 cents. Yearling steers sold from 137 to 213 cents, with yearling heifers selling from 130 to 209 cents. Grown steers sold from 175 to 233, with grown heifers selling from 143 to 217 cents. 
Dairy cows sold from 30 to 150 cents, as beef cows sold from 100 to 189 cents. Yearling bulls sold from 120 to 161 cents, as grain bulls ranged from 130 to 210 cents. This is John Traeger of the Southern Livestock Exchange at Mount Compass for MLA's National Livestock Reporting Service and the Country Hour. Thanks, John. It's time to head off to the Weather Bureau now, and Hannah Marsh is our forecaster today. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Selena. Certainly starting to warm up across the place as we get later into the week. Yeah, absolutely. And we had, did have a little bit of low cloud around this morning about uh, the Air Peninsula east coast and on and uh, east of the ranges about the agricultural area. But that has all burnt off. We also have a bit of cloud associated with a broad area of low pressure about the uh, northeast pastoral district. And we have seen some isolated lightning strikes in that. Uh, but having a look at the temperatures so far, it's been up to 37.5 so far at Sejuna, uh, 20 Port Lincoln, 24 so far at Wyala. It's been up to 39 at Cooper Pedy, 37 at Woomera. It's been up to 27 so far at Renmark, uh, 30 at Clare, 25 at Murray Bridge, uh, 18, uh, sorry, 19 at High Marsh Island, 22 at Kingscote and 19 so far at Mount Gambier. So yeah, definitely starting to warm up and will continue to do so, particularly into tomorrow ahead of this trough that we do have that'll pick up a cold front and move through the state uh, tomorrow and overnight. So we've still got uh, isolated showers and thunderstorms about the far north uh, east pastoral district tomorrow. That will mainly be during the afternoon and early evening period again. Otherwise, we're generally looking at hot to very hot and dry conditions with uh, northeast to northwesterly winds ahead of the milder, moderate to fresh southwest to southeasterly wind change that will move over the west and south during the day. And as that does move through, we will see a bit of a surge move through. So we do have a strong wind warning for the coastal waters of the far west coast, upper west coast and Spencer Gulf for tomorrow. Then as we uh, continue into Saturday, we will see milder conditions generally. So around uh, 21 degrees for Sejuna, 20 at Port Lincoln, 24 for Wyala. But in the north, we are still looking at uh, very hot conditions with 39 for Cooper Pedy and 37 for Woomera. Having a look at some of those other temperatures uh, for Saturday, 33 for Renmark, 26 at Clare, 22 for Murray Bridge, 21 at Mount Barker, 19 for Victor Harbour, 20 at Kingscote and 20 also for Mount Gambier. Uh, the shower activity and thunderstorms will mainly be about the Pastoral District and the Flinders District on Saturday. Uh, but then on Sunday, it will extend a bit further into uh, western parts to include uh, the west coast as well. And that's associated with an upper trough that uh, will start to develop and move into the state on Sunday. Then as that moves uh, further into South Australia on Monday, we'll see those showers and possible thunderstorms uh, in the west and will be more likely in the far northwest of the state. Then as we move into Tuesday, those showers really uh, extend throughout the state with the thunderstorms still being confined to uh, the west of the state. 
And having a look at cumulative rainfall totals up until midnight on Monday, it is a bit tricky with some model differences, particularly towards Sunday to Monday associated with that upper system. But we're generally looking at less than 2 millimetres, increasing to 2 to 10 millimetres about the north and west of the state increasing further to 5 to 15 millimetres about the far west of the state. But with thunderstorms, there is the possibility of seeing 20 to 40 millimetres possible about uh, the west of the state associated with thunderstorms. So just to summarise, we are looking at very hot conditions uh, tomorrow across the state. There is uh, the likelihood of seeing some uh, fire bans, uh, but Uh, check on the Bureau's website or with the CFS uh, after 4pm and uh, then we do have that change moving through particularly the South Estate on Friday. Thanks, Hannah. Hannah Marsh there from the Weather Bureau. A quick look at the Western Inland and New South Wales for tomorrow. Mostly sunny. There's a slight chance of a shower in the far east, but near cha- no z- near zero chance elsewhere for the upper western. Chance of a thunderstorm in the far east in the afternoon and evening for the lower western district. Overnight in the mid to low 20s, daytime temperatures 36 to 42 degrees. You're listening to The Country Hour. For more stories from across the country, go to abc.net.au slash rural. On ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill, this is Selena Green. Selena Green. Good afternoon. There's a lot coming up in this next half an hour, so it's great to be on board with you today. Now, have you already seen a drop in the price of some lamb products at your local supermarket? One major supermarket changed promise or chain promised that it would do that this week. The Federal Ag Minister wants others now to follow suit. And Australian scientists are busy working on a vaccine-like solution for a virus that's affecting the mood of citrus trees. Citrus tristeza. Uh, interestingly, tristeza is Spanish for sadness. So they recognised it quite a while ago as causing sadness to the trees. It's making the trees sad. I'll stick around for that one. First, Matt Coleman has your headlines. Hello, Matt. Hello, Selena. In the news this afternoon, the Australian Hotels Association is urging its members to seek compensation from Optus because of yesterday's outage which hit thousands of pubs and restaurants across South Australia. Anna Moller from the AHA says some businesses lost thousands of dollars in revenue. She says dealing with Optus directly is one avenue. Parents are being urged to be aware of the risks around pools this summer with a study finding that drowning risk triples when children turn one. According to research by Royal Life Saving, 222 children aged one have drowned over the past 20 years in Australia. In SA, 28 children aged between zero and four have drowned. More than half were aged just one. And over 170 public schools are closed today while teachers take strike action to try to persuade the state government to increase its pay and conditions offer. On the table is a 4% pay rise in the first year with bumps of 3 and 2.5% in the years after. More news at 1 o'clock. Thanks, Matt. Matt Coleman with those headlines. 
Well, yeah, back in 2022, now you may remember an announcement about a multi-million dollar plan to build three plant protein manufacturing facilities in South Australia. That project announced as a partnership involving Australian plant proteins, Thomas Foods International and the Australian Milling Group. $113 million was promised by the previous federal government and $56 million from the South Australian state government. Promised hundreds of local jobs and billions of dollars in generated exports. But today, the Stock Journal is reporting that the federal government has confirmed it's withdrawn its funding. The federal industry minister, Ed Husick, was in Adelaide this week, where he's quoted as confirming as such. I have put in requests with the project partners today, uh, Thomas Foods, Australian Milling and Australian Plant Proteins. I have not yet had a response. And the office of the Federal Industry Minister, Ed Husick. His office says he's travelling at the moment, so not available today. They will come back to me, so stay tuned. Uh, Also expecting to hear from the State Minister for Investment, Nick Champion, because, uh, as I said there, the state government promising $56 million dollars. And that was contingent on the federal funding going ahead. Well, joining me now is Brad Perry, the chair of Grain Producers South Australia. Hi, Brad. Uh, good afternoon, Selena. Uh, we have spoken previously about the concerns that your association has had about, well, really the funding for the project. Uh, you've had those concerns for some time and you actually wrote to uh, to the minister's concern? Yeah, we did. So we've written to the federal and state uh, ministers involved in the project and uh, unfortunately, we haven't received a, a reply to those letters, so we haven't had anything formal. But uh, obviously, the media is reporting now that uh, the federal government contingent um, is not on the table anymore for the, the plant protein project, um, which is not surprising, but um, yeah, very disappointing. I was going to ask, were you surprised to read that, given that we haven't had a lot of information about this project uh, since it was first announced, that uh, if this is the case that the federal government has pulled the pin on its funding? Yeah, look again. I think um, I think it's disappointing, but yeah, we we aren't surprised. I mean, it was always going to be a challenging project with um, three different businesses uh, involved in the space. But I think that's why it was so exciting as well that we were going to have this uh, really important collaboration um, that was really going to be a game changer for South Australia. And and some of the numbers that were quoted on on announcement, you know, with uh, eight and a half thousand new full time positions and expecting to generate up to $4 billion in exports as well by 2032. They're just really exciting. So there was a lot of interest and, and positivity around that discussion and uh, that announcement at the time. And we also know that, um, you know, the plant protein sector has huge potential for South Australia in the way that we're positioned. So I think it's quite um, disappointing that uh, we've seen a withdrawal uh, report in the media of $130 million from the federal government. I'm really hoping that the state government, because I'm aware that they are um, still looking into to what they can do. I'm, I'm really encouraging them to keep some of that money on the table because we just see a huge upside for the plant protein sector um, being given a boost in South Australia. Yeah, obviously you're keen to still see this uh, perhaps go ahead in some way because what would it mean for the grains industry here in South Australia if something like this does get up? Oh, look, it's a huge value add for us and we talk about um, you know, trying to value add all the time. So this is a, a huge opportunity to be able to inject more money into the economy and also just diversify um, the uh, grain sector as well. So this will bring in different streams of uh, of money in, into the state's economy and, and for grain producers. Um, and I just think it's got huge potential, particularly with so much demand across the world. Speaking of that demand, I mean, are you, do you feel that there? Do you have some confidence that there might be others who'd want to take up that 
uh, gap? Is there a, a big future for plant protein as an industry here in Australia? Oh, for sure. I think we're well positioned to, to really take a lead um, as a, in the plant protein space. So uh, I think if we can get that, that bit of boost and that confidence with some investment from uh, from the state government, I think we'll still see some, some really positive movement. But uh, we'd like to see that, that joint collaboration. And, and obviously, um, it's a bit disappointing to, to have so much money removed um, from what was going to be a huge investment in South Australia as well. Mm. Obviously, Grain Producers SA is not a, a project partner or a funding partner in this project, but would you like to perhaps be part of those discussions going forward about how this might be salvaged? Oh, I think we'd, yeah, we, we'd really like to, to be involved in, um, in what it looks like going forward and, and happy to provide advice. We, we represent grain growers from right across South Australia, so I think, uh, yeah, it'd be really good to to be involved in, in what that looks like going forward. And, uh, you know, I think it's really a really exciting space and the time is now to invest and capitalise on it. Brad Perry, thanks for joining us this afternoon. No worries. Brad Perry there from Grain Producers South Australia. And as I said, I have put in requests uh, with both the federal and state governments for further uh, information on the funding and where to from here. So I'll bring you that when I have more on it. Right now, it is 23 minutes to one. Well, the Federal Agriculture Minister has welcomed a decision by supermarket giant Woolies to finally drop the price of lamb. Sale yard prices for sheep and lamb have fallen drastically this year. Some categories are down 70% on their peak. A Woolworths announced that from yesterday, 26 lamb products would be cut in price by 20%. Agmin Minister Murray Watt has welcomed that news, but he says Woolies and other supermarkets could do more. I certainly welcome that decision by Woolworths to pass on some of those savings to Australian consumers. I know when I go and buy my leg of lamb on a Saturday to make a roast, I've seen the price rise in recent years and months, and I think everyone has been going through the same thing. So to provide some cost of living relief in that way with lamb prices at the supermarket, I think will be really welcomed by Australian shoppers. Has it come um, too no... late, though? Because sale yard prices had fallen substantially in the months prior. Yeah, look, I, I think I really empathise with uh, sheep and cattle producers because we've seen prices for both commodities fall significantly in recent months. Uh, and I think it's been very frustrating to those producers to not see that reflected in supermarket prices. So over the last few weeks, I've actually been calling on the retailers to do the right thing. Um, but if prices are lower at the farm gate, then they should be reflected at the supermarket shelves as well. And, you know, I think we all recognise that there are additional costs incurred between the farm gate and supermarkets, transportation, processing costs, all those kind of things. But I think everyone was getting a bit jack of seeing such a big discrepancy between the prices farmers were getting and what they were having to pay at the supermarkets. So I'd now like to see the other big retailers join Woolworths and pass on those reductions. Uh, and, you know, without with, with any luck before too long, we'll see producers getting better prices as we work through the sort of oversupply um, that we're seeing in the market at the moment. Do you think you may have played a role in Woolworths' decision here? Oh, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to, to sort of claim that, Warwick, but, you know, I thought it was important as the Minister to deliver a message to the retailers that they do need to meet community expectations. You know, I think traditionally it's always been a few months between seeing livestock prices fall and, and seeing supermarket prices fall, but, you know, I, I was keen to use my position to put a bit of pressure on the retailers and 
I'm pleased that one of them has responded. As I say, I'd now like to see the other ones do the same thing. Woolworths are dropping the price by 20%. Indicators are around 40 to 50% lower than, say, their peaks in March earlier this year as well. Is there is there room for more price drops or price cuts at the retail yeah. level? Yeah, I think, I think there is, Warwick, as time goes on. And I think we recognise that... Um, the prices are being a bit held up at the retail level also by stocks uh, that are already held um, that, and forward contracts that retailers entered into with producers and processors when prices were higher. But as we see those figures change, again, I would like to see those prices come down for consumers. I think all of us understand that Australians are feeling real cost of living pressure at the moment. We've been doing what we can as a government in trying to pass on energy rebates and cheaper medicines, cheaper childcare, things like that. But you know, if we can do more around food and grocery prices for Australians, that'll really help a lot of family budgets too. That's the Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt and he was speaking there to Warwick Long. This summer, have a safe one by learning your ABCs. A is for action plan. Having an action plan means you know what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. B is for be safe. Be aware of the hazards you may face in the local area. C is for Connect. Connect to abc.net.au slash emergency for the latest emergency information. During an emergency, listen to your local ABC radio station. ABC Radio is your emergency broadcaster. And do let me know, are you seeing a drop in prices of lamb products already? That was supposed to happen yesterday. Have you paid much attention as to whether they are cheaper today? And let me know if any other retailers have followed suit. The talkback number is 1300 222891 or that text line is 0467 922891. This is ABC Radio Adelaide, South Australia and Broken Hill. You're with Selena Green this afternoon. Well, we're always talking about the value of buying local and the good news for strawberry lovers is that South Australian grown strawberries are now coming online. Strawberry season has sprung earlier this year. It's looking like a much better season than last year weather-wise. The South Australian Strawberry Growers Association Chair is Brittany Groth. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. You've got uh, the season launch of the strawberry season at the markets. Uh, And I understand this is a, a bit earlier this year because of the weather? Yeah, so we've had really great weather in South Australia, so it means we've got plenty of South Australian strawberries going around, which we want to promote and make sure all the locals know about it. How sort of ahead of where you'd normally be is the season at the moment here? So we're probably, compared to last season, we're three or four weeks ahead, which is fantastic. It means we've got plenty of supply at this time of year. Yeah, so the strawberries at this time of the year, you're really wanting that uh, that sunshine? It's not too much heat, I imagine? Yeah, not too much heat, but that sunshine definitely does help. Yeah, and, and a welcome relief from last year, because I understand what last year, the weather conditions weren't so favourable and it did take out sort of your first, well, the first pick. Yeah, so last year we were hit pretty badly with cold weather and rain, which really pushed us back by a few weeks, which wasn't good. But this year we're doing a lot better. We've got the sunshine and the good volume. So So you're feeling pretty optimistic about the the sort of quality and quantity of South Australian grown strawberries that customers will be able to get this year? Definitely, yeah. We're going to have really good volumes of South Australian strawberries this year and great quality, always good quality, but even better this year. Uh, just give us an idea of uh, you know, the size of the, the industry here in South Australia. You've got quite a few growers and where are they mainly based? Yeah, so we have um, over eight growers in South Australia and they're based all through the Adelaide Hills and the Fleurio Peninsula. 
And when will season generally last through until? How long should we be able to get these these local strawberries? So South Australian strawberries generally go from October through to May. And I'm hearing a bit at the moment about, in some parts, blueberry season has coincided with strawberry season, so they're sort of on the shelves at the same time, perhaps competing with each other at the moment. And blueberry punnets, we're certainly seeing those go quite cheap at the moment. Is that a bit of competition to go into people's shopping trolleys at the moment? Yeah. So this time of year, we always have such great fruit. We've got everything on the shelf and there's always a little bit of competition, but there's no doubt in my mind that the South Australian strawberries have the best quality and taste. So definitely worth grabbing a punnet. And are you sort of happy with the prices? I mean, where are sort of prices sitting that, and, and what sort of a realistic price uh, that you know growers would be, be wanting to get to cover costs? Yeah, so um, as we all know, costs have gone up quite a bit this year, as they have in the last few years. So for growers, definitely around that, um, probably over $3 or $4 in the market is what we're wanting to get um, to really support local growers. But, you know, as the volumes come up, the price will come down. So you'd be wanting people to keep buying, <laughs> buying plenty yeah. of strawberries this summer? Definitely, yeah. We definitely want um, all South Aussies to be buying South Australian strawberries and supporting our local growers. Fantastic. Well, Brittany, great to chat to you today and all the best for a great strawberry season. Thank you so much. Brittany Groth there, the chair of the South Australian Strawberry Growers Association. They're doing their official launch of strawberry season at the central markets tomorrow. So if you're around that area, keep your eye out for some Adelaide Crows and MasterChef personalities in the strawberry cook-off. You should be able to get South Australian strawberries right through until May. Uh, well, speaking of berries, maybe you're seeing plenty of blueberries and strawberries for sale at the moment. What sort of prices have you seen? Well, blueberry prices are starting to increase as the strawberry picking season continues and consumers are now paying more than what they were last month. As I mentioned there with Brittany from Strawberries SA, there is a bit of a crossover this year affecting prices that's having some bigger implications for some of the more major growing areas such as Queensland. The low prices for blueberries affected the price of strawberries as there was a crossover of seasons and the weather conditions were conducive to a huge blueberry crop. Uh, Berries Australia, Anthony Pointer, says it's good for consumers, but it's pretty hard on farmers. Berries, uh, as a category, of course, has been uh, increasing in production across Australia um, for quite a lot of years now. And at the same time, you know, consumption has kept pace with that. But particularly in this last period, year on year, if, we're, if I take, you know, the, the nine months to year to date since, since the, the beginning of January, Volumes are really up about 50% across all berry types. Hmm. And so it's a, it's a very significant increase. Um, now, why are the volumes up? Well, in a number of areas, um, big growing areas for blueberries, northern coast of New South Wales, uh, where I am here at one of my Queensland farms, you know, we've had better weather We have, and we have had uh, a lack of the sort of hail, storms, uh, and other negative impacts on the various regions. So, been good growing conditions for blueberries. Um, uh, equally, that's the case uh, for strawberries, particularly in this uh, southeast Queensland area. And what that's meant is, through late winter into spring, blueberries have had a significant increase in production. Strawberries have had a significant increase in production. But also, the strawberry season is late, so it's coinciding with the blueberry season. So it's like a perfect storm of, of good things, but the timing's a bit off. Well, it's a perfect storm of good things uh, if you're a consumer, 
because there's been a lot of very good berries out there. But the other side to that has been the prices have have been pushed down a long, long way, and that's been extremely difficult. So before uh, we get to that, just to reiterate, just to go over that a little bit, so mm-hmm. the blueberry and the strawberry seasons in some areas have crossed over a bit where normally they might not have. That's right. Strawberries are late this year, largely because of delayed runner supply, and hence the strawberry season is later. And it happens then to coincide with peak production of blueberries. So they're all uh, in, this, in the market at the same time. That's right. And when you, you know, when uh, when a, a shopper goes through and you know they they want to pick up strawberries, they want to pick up blueberries, they want to pick up raspberries and blackberries too. But um, but you know, there's there's a limit to uh, you know to what they're prepared to spend on berries at any one moment. Yeah. So if they're going to buy blueberries, they're not going to. Pay and they get those cheaper. They're not going to pay a big price for strawberries. So they're going to expect all berries to be. Well, they might do yeah. away with the strawberries. Well, I mean, you know, you've, you've you've filled up that part of your fridge with berries now. So there's just a lot to move. And in an attempt to move more, the prices have been uh, have been lowered by the by the retailers. I've seen them round uh, two dollars for a small punnet. Two dollars fifty. Is that about it for blueberries? Well, actually, two things have happened there. Yes, $2, and that, that's a net very low price. But actually, if you look closely, in most places, the punnets are actually one and a half times the size that they were. They're 170 grams now, not 125 in these peak, peak time periods. Why? So we're selling more blueberries per punnet, but for no more dollars. So, you know, that has further exacerbated the problem. Mm, why are those punnets a little bit bigger? In an attempt to, uh, you know, to, to sell more berries, more berries, more kilograms of berries. Um, and so a slightly bigger punnet um, and, and, and more a sold. So how's this affecting growers? This has been extremely difficult with the low pricing. Um, the increased production, uh, you know, was because of kind of weather conditions was very good, of course. But then you've spent all of your money and you've sent it off to market and, you know, pricing as you say, $2 for 170 grams of uh, blueberries, uh, low pricing on strawberries as well. And th- it's actually gotten to the point that for quite, you know, for quite a long period of time, these berries are being sold below the cost of production. So farmers are losing money. Clearly that's not sustainable. You can't lose money week on week, month on month, year on year. We need to really look for the opportunities to get back to a fair trade between what a farmer can afford to produce for and, and uh, you know, what a retailer will sell at. We need to see that change very soon. Who can change that? I think if uh, I think I'd call upon the retailers to anticipate uh, how production is falling away and to not be tardy in uh, putting that price back up to something that's, that's a fair deal, that's more sustainable, that won't drive farmers to the wall. Are, are some sort of heading towards the wall? Yeah, some are. There's no doubt about that. As Berries Australia's Anthony Pointer, and he was talking about berry prices there with Fiona Breen. It's nine minutes to one. Conversations. Spend an hour in the life of someone else. Suddenly, a man who actually hadn't spoken for 14 years, out of the silence, he said... Someone who has seen and done remarkable things. In your ears, you hear this Australia, and it's like... 
oh God, there's a couple of hundred million people about to watch you. Hear the latest conversations. Weekday mornings from 11 on ABC Radio. Or anytime on the ABC Listen app. You're with Selena Green on this Thursday afternoon. Well, Australian scientists have received a $1.5 million boost to develop a vaccine-like solution to combat a virus that is apparently making fruit trees sad. Tristeza, it's a Spanish word for sad. And citrus tristeza virus is an introduced disease. It can reduce the yield of trees and even lead to their death. Now, Hort Innovation has provided $1.5 million for the four-year initiative. It's been led by the University of Queensland, which will see researchers from the New South Wales DPI and Oz Citrus work with the citrus industry to build on existing work. University of Queensland plant pathologist Andrew Gearing told Eliza Berlage why the virus is a big issue for growers. There's a, a, a very serious disease that affects citrus called Citrus tristeza. Uh, interestingly, tristeza is Spanish for sadness. So uh, they recognised it quite a while ago as, as, as ca- causing sadness to the trees. It exists as a number of different strains uh, which cause the different diseases. Some strains cause quick decline. So once the plant becomes infected, it will die very quickly. Others cause very slow death to the tree um, and these are the the strains that we're interested in uh, during this project. This strategy is is not a new strategy. It's been around for uh, getting on 80 years now, but the problem is it's only been developed for uh, grapefruit uh, stem pitting. The virus itself uh, exists as a number of different strains. Some strains will cause stem pitting in grapefruit, but they won't in sweet orange, for example. And, and vice versa, and you need to create mild strains for each of the different um, aggressive strains of the virus. And therein lies the problem. We've only successfully developed one mild strain for uh, grapefruit stem pitting, but not for the sweet orange or the lime stem pitting strains. And so we'll be sort of extending the technology to other strains of the virus and also using a few more sophisticated gene cloning techniques to develop those uh, new mild strains as well. So this virus, can can it affect any citrus fruits? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it can. It even, even affects um, native citrus as well. So um, uh, some of the listeners might have heard about finger lime, native citrus in Australia, and that is extremely susceptible to citrus tristeza virus. So, of course, the reaction of different citrus varieties differs according to what strain of uh, virus is infecting them. In some cases, citrus might be symptomlessly infected and others it might show really um, strong disease symptoms. Are there a lot of different variants of the virus across the different citrus growing regions in Australia and, and are all the citrus growing regions, is there a virus present in all of the regions? Well, we don't have a really good handle on that, that information yet, but uh, our belief is that the diversity of the virus we have in Australia is broadly representative of the uh, variation that occurs across the world. Um, Citrus tristeza was probably introduced maybe even as early as the first settler, first uh, European settlers of Australia. It's It's been around for a very long time and a lot of citrus has been brought into the country uh, before there were any um, any quarantine conditions on the import of, of material. So we think we have probably a, just a, a snapshot of the diversity um, you know, right across the world. 
And in the world, there's uh, the tally keeps on increasing, but there's at least seven different um, lineages, uh, genetic lineages of, of the virus, um, and it's continually uh, mutating and evolving. So it's a very variable virus, and, and, and uh, that creates major problems in developing cross-protection strains. So when could growers expect to... I mean, this is not always a speedy process, of course, but when might growers expect to be able to, to use this vaccine in their orchards? Yeah, well... Um, as I said, there is a, a, a mild strain uh, against uh, grapefruit stem pitting, and this is quite an ambitious project, so uh, there'll be a lot of technological development in it. But our, our first target will be to, to try and clone the uh, mild strain that protects the against grapefruit stem pitting and once we've got it cloned then we'll we'll have um, preserved that strain for uh, perpetuity because you know it will be held in a a, you know a laboratory collection and there won't be any risk of it being lost in the future and so once we've proven the technology with that grapefruit mild strain then we'll extend to some of the other viruses that infect sweet orange and lime and try and duplicate the technology with those. So I guess this project which is four years long is really creating the platforms, the pipelines uh, for creating a mild strain. So when we hopefully that will be a successful outcome of the project, and then within another four or five years after that, hopefully there will be new mild strains being produced. Maybe a, a, we could think of a ten-year timeline for new strains being produced uh, if everything goes well. That's University of Queensland Associate Professor Andrew Gearing, and he was speaking there with Eliza Berlage. Now, if you want to keep across uh, lots of great stories from the ABC Rural team, and they're constantly being updated, some great, really interesting stuff available on our website, which is abc.net.au forward slash rural. Uh, One of them looking at uh, harvesting of the thorny... Sea urchins. Have you ever tried sea urchin row? I can't say I have, but apparently it's quite the delicacy. A really interesting story from an abalone diver along the Australian coast who noticed sea urchins destroying his fishery. He started harvesting them as a culinary delicacy. Apparently now Senate Inquiry is going to be looking into uh, the potential growth of that industry here in Australia. So you can read about that right now on the website. You can also read about some futuristic farm robots that are helping to put healthier produce on your table by reducing herbicide risk. As I said, uh, abc.net.au forward slash rural is where you can find these great stories and more. And don't forget the ABC Listen app. If you uh, head to that and download it that right now onto your smartphone or your tablet, you can listen back to the South Australian Country Hour and uh, find lots of great ABC audio content in there as well. Speaking of great content, I'm sure there's plenty of that coming up this afternoon on Sonia Feldhoff's program. Hello, Sonia. Hello, Selena. Well, I would tell you what, you have probably heard more than you care to hear about the Optus thing over the last 24 hours. But if you're someone who's been affected, uh, no doubt you're looking to, to to find out how you can go about getting that word that everyone's talking about today, and that is compensation. Well, mm. we have the telecommunications industry ombudsman on the show with us. We have some legal advice uh, here as well and consumer experts to talk about those kinds of things. And if you do live in a, uh, a regional or a rural area, 
any area that may be impacted by bushfires, don't you think yesterday really showed that if you can't have your phones with you in a bushfire, yesterday really showed up how important that is. So what other forms of communication are there in a time when you really need it? Just some of the issues we're looking at this afternoon, plus rethinking the term bullying. Thanks, Sonia. Sonia will be with you this afternoon with those great stories and more. I'm sure a lot of you are very tuned in and interested to hear more about compensation. It's news time, one o'clock. Stay connected with your ABC. Find news online at abc.net.au. Select your postcode to see local stories, news and weather. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.